And I clicked the go live and it didn't take you live. One second. Let's try that again. Okay. Welcome on in. How is everyone doing on this Monday evening? Hope it is well. If you're a baseball fan in Chicago, you got to be doing well. We've got about an hour to talk some baseball, also some other things, and we'll get to uh, some beer talk a little, little bit later on in the show. Thanks a lot for jumping on in. Remember, uh, here with 1252 Sports Chicago, you can hear us on my Facebook as of now. You can hear us on my Facebook each and every week when the show gets underway at 7 o'clock, and you can also find the recordings here on Facebook. And also, you can catch us on the YouTube channel, on the 1252 Sports Chicago YouTube channel, and also on Twitch.tv. That's right, where all those kid gamers are playing. You can find uh, me on Twitch.tv, along with the rest of the guys from 1252 Sports. You got people all week long, and uh, we have all kinds of fun throughout the course of the week. You can also find the audio on Spotify, and usually uh, the day after the show gets done. So if you miss some of the other shows, you can go to Spotify or YouTube or Twitch and track down any of the shows you may have missed. Over the last several weeks, we've talked to people from Orange and Brew Tap Room. We've talked to the uh, people that run Skeleton Key Brewing. Also, Nick at Ivy Brewing, Goldfinger Brewing. Um, it's been great. Last week, we had a chance to talk with Jude LaRose from Hot Butcher. That's why I thought it was only appropriate this week when I do the show, I always like to have a beverage, and I, this is one of the beers I picked up from Hot Butcher last week, Bunkhouse Square. It is a, a double IPA, so as the show gets late, I may be slurring my words a little bit. Citra, Mosaic, Simcoe, and Nelson Sauvin Hopped. So um, I picked them up. I did not t sample any of them. I'm saving this one for today on the show. A lot of people say, hey, we like when you taste the beers. So this is one that I just picked up. Hot Butcher released it last week along with um, their Stout Mobula, which I can't wait to try. Also, uh, Grid, their um, Pale Ale, so um, pours real nice. So I'm looking forward to drinking this one as we talk some sports. And when you have uh, baseball in Chicago, and we're June 14th, and you have two first-place baseball teams, what is there not to like about baseball? If you're a Sox fan or a Cub fan, you have things to like. The two teams don't meet each other till they get together in August. So let's see how things go. There are six divisions in Major League Baseball. The AL East, Central, West. The NL East, Central, West. For, you know, 
the baseball primer for those who don't know. But this week, starting today, Monday, going for the next several days, you have the White Sox, the top team in the AL Central, going against the Tampa Bay Rays, the top team in the AL East. So that's two of the six first place teams. Two other first place teams are playing each other in New York, the Big Apple, the first of a four game series. The Cubs taking on the New York Mets, and the Cubs are on top of the division, the National League Central, along with Milwaukee, and the New York Mets are on top of the NL East, the rough NL East with your Atlanta, your Washington, um, Philadelphia, and you knew it was going to be a battle in that division. It will be all the way through. So right now here in Chicago, if you're a baseball fan, we're getting to see four of the six first-place teams in Major League Baseball. That is very, very cool. Uh, let's pause for a second while I take a sip of my Bughouse Square from Hot Butcher. Very, very good. Very tasty, the double IPA. Oh, I'm going to enjoy each and every minute of this one. So let's start with um, the Cubs because the Cubs have just got done sweeping their hated rival. Yes, the hated rival, the St. Louis Cardinals at Wrigley Field, a three-game series, two of them on national TV. And the Cubs actually on national TV again on Monday evening as they are on ESPN. When does it happen that a Cubs team that many people thought was a rebuilding year, a year where they were going to try and cut salary, get rid of players. Um, they find themselves in first place in the Central and on national TV Saturday on Fox, Sunday on ESPN, Monday on ESPN. So the Cubs are playing well. They're getting victories. Their pitching has been amazing. And since early May, the Cubs are one of the best teams in the National League. They sweep the Cardinals at Wrigley Field. 24-10 and 10 at Wrigley Field. They had 100% capacity allowed the last three days. They only had 37,000 on Friday, then 39,000 and 40,000 over the weekend. Some great, great crowds at Wrigley Field. And that's the way it always is at Wrigley Field. When a team is good, it's really cool to see big crowds. When the team's not so good and you're still getting big crowds, then you're wondering, you're going for the party or you're going for the baseball? Right now, they're going for the baseball but we'll talk about the party in a little bit later on in the show. Um, it's nice to see guys step up. It's nice to see guys come back. We saw Anthony Rizzo. What a Friday he had, okay? On Friday, Anthony Rizzo joined Cap and Jay Hood on ESPN 1000. Now, he usually joins them on Tuesdays. But last Tuesday, they were in San Diego getting ready to take two or three from the Padres, which was nice, okay? So you look at it and... Rizzo joined him on Friday, and they were talking about players getting vaccinated. And David Kaplan asked Anthony Rizzo straight out, as in during the conversation, he goes, well, you are vaccinated, right? And Anthony Rizzo let him know that, no, in fact, he had not been vaccinated. And he had talked to his doctors. He had talked to many people. He had done some research in it and decided at this point not to get vaccinated. And then just two days ago, we find out that Jason Hayward also has not been vaccinated. We know there are other players on the Chicago Cubs that have not been vaccinated. Now, it's it's a personal thing. It's an individual thing. I understand how some people say, listen, if people are vaccinated, we get to open up. City of Chicago right now, 100% opened up. You saw by what happened at the ballpark the other day. I know the Chicago Fire just sent me a uh, note to season ticket holders that as of July, all of their seats will be available. If you're a season ticket holder, you'll be able to sit in your designated seats. 
when that uh, resumes. But the uh, players in baseball get tested at least three times a week. And they feel safe right now in their own bubble with their players and everybody else. They've had discussions. Javi Baez says they've had some heated discussions about uh, players vaccinated and not vaccinated. And what it does is some of the players, um, the Cubs, Jed Hoyer, they want to get to the 85% vaccinated level on their team and in their group and on their traveling party. If you see um, Pat Hughes, Ron Coomer, Zach Zaidman, uh, also the TV guys, Boog Jambi and Jim Deshays, they are not traveling with the team. Right now, for the White Sox, Steve Stone um, and Jason Benetti still not traveling with the White Sox. But the broadcast team on radio of Len Casper and also Darren Jackson, they are traveling with the White Sox. They were in Detroit this past weekend. We'll get to some White Sox talk in a second. So among the things that uh, teams can get to do once they hit that 85% is there's more things they can do. Um, Broadcast teams can travel on the plane with them. They can do some of the other things, hot tubs and other things that help the team, benefit the team. And right now, they are not at that 85% level. They may not get there. I know it's a little frustrating to Jed Hoyer. He wants to get there, says it makes it a lot easier, a lot better for the team, team-wise, if they get to that 85%. They're not there yet. But you know what? It's not seeming to hurt their play on the field. This team is just keeps winning. They're 24-10 and 10 at the friendly confines of Wrigley Field. And uh, you would expect them just to be doing better as the season goes on. Now, they have a tough stretch of games coming up. They have a, um, I think it's a 13 or 11 or 12 game stretch coming up where they're on the road, where they take on the Dodgers and Milwaukee and Cincinnati. And that's not going to be easy. That's coming up in about three or four weeks. They do have the Mets for this four game series now. We'll see how things all pan out. But they have been playing well. Anthony Rizzo, back to Rizzo, because after he let Cap and Jay Hood know on Friday morning, what's he do? He goes out, and a game that looked like it was over early. It was 5-1. to one. The Cubs weren't doing anything. Slowly but surely, they battled back. They made it 5-4, to four, and Anthony Rizzo has one of the greatest at-bats you'll see as you're watching baseball. It was one of those games where 5-1, to one, you say, ah, this one's over with. The Cubs aren't going to come back. You may not have stuck around with it. Some people didn't until they cut it to 5-4, and then Rizzo with an at-bat in the sixth inning, I think it was, he fouls off 10 pitches. Nine of those pitches fouled off with two strikes. And then on the 14th pitch of the at-bat, he hits a home run to tie the game. Cubs go on to win by a score of 8-5. to five, And this team is together. The uh, fans were going crazy at Wrigley Field. And it's nice to see another first-place team on the north side. We'll see how long they can hold on as uh, the Chicago Cubs and the Brewers right now hanging out of that first-place position in the central the brewers playing very very well they've made a couple of deals they're getting a great pitching from woodruff and burns and uh, we'll see how things go as it goes down the stretch there is there's like 97 games remaining for each the teams the white Sox and the cubs it's a long long time they've only played about 65 games so far this season so baseball is a long long season you always hear it's a marathon not a sprint Baseball, it definitely is a marathon. It is a long, long season. And uh, the Cubs, they got Arietta today. Alec Mills are getting a spot start coming up on um, Tuesday. Jacob deGrom gets to go against the Cubs on Wednesday. Jacob deGrom is an amazing pitcher, probably the top one or two pitchers in all of baseball right now. deGrom in his last start against uh, San Diego 
was winning. The team was winning 3 nothing. DeGrom had driven in two of those runs. And at that time, DeGrom has, and still now, because he came out and hasn't pitched since, Jacob DeGrom has five runs batted in this season, and he has allowed just four earned runs. So the Cubs are going to have their hands full on Wednesday. Um, Kyle Hendricks goes on Thursday against Marcus Stroman. But uh, one of the guys that have stepped up for the Cubs, a couple of guys have stepped up, definitely. And we've talked about it uh, in previous weeks. Patrick Wisdom steps up, a guy we didn't know much about. Uh, Alcantara has stepped up. He's done very, very well filling in. Javi Baez has been out for a little while. Jason Hayward is now back. But the other day, Hap with a home run. If they can get Hap going, they still are waiting to try to get Horner and Bodie back. Uh, Matt Duffy. So everybody that has come up for this team has stepped up and done really, really well for him. The bullpen, we continuously talk about the bullpen as they are just doing one heck of a job. Craig Kimbrell Kimbrel with three straight saves. And this looks like the Craig Kimbrell who, because he looks the way he does, I would expect Craig Kimbrell to be dealt when he gets to the trade deadline because you'll be able to get more for Craig Kimbrell, a shutdown closer at that time, than you will for a guy like Chris Bryant or Javi Baez. I don't think Javi Baez is going anywhere. I think Chris Bryant is going to stick around probably till the season's over. And then at that point, look for a contract and go sign for a big money deal somewhere. I don't think he'll get some of the money that some of the other big names have gotten in the past. But uh, he and his agent, Scott Boris, have been waiting for this day. So we'll see how that pans out. But uh, yeah, Rizzo and Hayward not vaccinated. We wanted to talk about that. Um, also, you see that uh, Zach Davies is stepping up. Davies had a really good game against the Cardinals over the weekend, went six and two-thirds, no runs, two hits, two walks. He struck out six, and he gave them depth. He gave them innings, and that's what you need. There was that stretch there for the Cubs where the starters were not getting past the third, not getting past the fourth inning, and they're getting long, nice stretches from their starting pitching. As you see, uh, Kyle Hendricks, I think six of his last seven starts have been quality starts. That's what this team needs going forward. We'll see how it play, plays out. They can use some more hitting. They need some extra hitting, see what steps up for them. The White Sox, as we shift gears, their pitching has been absolutely amazing. Lance Lynn, tremendous. Carlos Rodon, who earlier this year had a no-hitter, was eight outs away from another no-hitter on Sunday in Detroit. I know, it's Detroit, but what you have to do is you have to take advantage of the bad teams. And the White Sox this year seem to be doing that as they're taking advantage. And in that game, Carlos Rodon, he improved to 6-2. and two. He's got a 189 earned run average, second best in the American League, behind only his teammate Lance Lynn. And eight outs away, like I said, umpire Pat Holberg had a bad call on a 2-2 pitch, a pitch that looked like it was a strike three. He did not call it strike three. He called it ball. The next pitch was a uh, double down the left field line. And as a result, the no-hitter was gone. Afterwards, the umpire mentioned to Rodon, he admitted that he missed the call. He admitted that he missed the call, and Rodon said, hey, he said, things happen. Don't worry about it. And uh, the White Sox still go out to a 4-1 win. Um, Evan Marshall came in, pitched a perfect eighth inning, struck out two. If the Sox get their bullpen going, it really will be shut down with the way the starters are going. The problem with this bullpen is some of the inconsistencies from Cody Hoyer and um, – also, Aaron Bummer. Every time Aaron Bummer comes in, I'm sweating. It's unbelievable. He is just uh, such a struggle when he comes in. And the most important things for relievers is getting the ball over the plate. There's times where it's like, 
let the guy hit the ball. Don't walk him. You're a reliever. You just came in. You got a one-run, a two-run lead. What are you doing? You got to get the ball over the plate. And Cody Hoyer and Aaron Bummer have both had similar problems with that. And uh, hopefully for the White Sox, they uh, calm that thing down. Sox are hot. They've won 13 of 17. They get a stretch this week, starting today, Monday, seven games. You've got three against Tampa Bay, the best team in baseball right now. The White Sox are the second best team in baseball. I mentioned how they're both first place teams. The White Sox right now, 41 and 24. They have a five and a half game lead over Cleveland as games start on Monday. The Tampa Bay Rays, half a game better, 42 and 24. They are the top two teams in all of baseball. They're facing each other at guaranteed rate field this week. It's not going to be easy. Tampa Bay Rays are a team. They just keep throwing guys in there and uh, they do the job. A lot of times they made, they traded their shortstop. Willie Adamas to the Brewers because they had their their sixth best prospect in the minor leagues. They brought him up, and they figured that was a perfect time to do it as Tampa just takes a 2-0 lead. I'm bittersweet because Austin Meadows is my guy. Every time Austin Meadows faces the White Sox, he does well. He just belted a two-run homer off Lance Lynn as uh, Tampa takes a 2-0 lead in the first inning. It's a long way to go. White Sox. Uh, don't have Moncada on Monday, but the White Sox get some awesome, awesome news today as Eloy Jimenez cleared to resume baseball activities. Jimenez, in the spring training, or late, early in the year, he goes up against the wall, and all of a sudden, his shoulder's gone. He's got problems, has to have a procedure done, and we knew he'd be out for a long time. But they say that he's beginning baseball activities. He's been cleared, and he'll be doing that for about a month. And this is really, really good news for the White Sox. I was listening to the pregame show on ESPN 1000. And on the manager's show, Tony La Russa said he talked to Eloy Jimenez. Jimenez says he's watching everything. He said he cannot wait to get back and help this team as they continue towards their push for first place in the American League Central. So getting Eloy Jimenez's back would be awesome. Right now, the White Sox, they bring up a guy, Brian Goodwin, a 30-year-old. Think about it. You've got Jermaine Mercedes at 28. You got Patrick Wisdom for the Cubs, 29, and you bring up Brian Goodwin for the White Sox, a 30-year-old major leaguer. And what you do? <clears throat> what you do? His very first game over the weekend. I need a sip of, a sip of beer. Very first game over the weekend. What he do? He doubles in his first at bat, second at bat, second inning. He has a three-run homer. He drives in five runs in his first game in the White Sox uniform. Nice to see from Brian Goodwin as the White Sox get their players stepping up and helping out as they go along. But getting Eli Jimenez back would be awesome. Then you'd have more power. You'd have extra people. You'd have uh, Yermin Mercedes, who's been getting his singles here and there, not hitting the ball maybe as hard as you would like him to see him hit it. But he is doing the job, and that's nice to see. So the White Sox have Lynn against Glasnow. Tyler Glasnow, one heck of a pitcher. Dallas Keuchel goes on Tuesday and Wednesday afternoon. It's Lucas Giolito. And then after that three-game series, the White Sox head to Houston. Trash can banging. I don't know. Who knows what it'll be. But they take on the Houston Astros for a four-game series. And so this next seven days is going to be quite a stretch for the White Sox. You're playing good teams. Uh, you're in first place. you got a five-and-a-half game lead over Cleveland. Let's see what the White Sox can do against good competition. Strong competition because, and people say White Sox are beating up on bad teams. Their record against teams with a winning record so far this season, 11-16. and 16. They're five games under 
against teams with a winning record. So they're going to need to step their game up against Tampa the next three days and also against the Houston Astros in the four games following that. So it's just awesome to have great baseball in the town. And uh, the White Sox and the Cubs, top of the uh, top of the sports stories, heck, top of news stories also, as uh, you see the crowds that are packing in to both Guaranteed Rate Field and also Wrigley Field. I uh, wanted to get into something else baseball-related, um, and that is that baseball is a game that's been changing. And slowly but surely, they are going to try to stop the – pitchers from putting sticky stuff on the baseballs and they're working on it they said it will begin next week today i'm reading an article from bob nightingale from the usa today and it's about brian price now cub fans might remember brian price he was a manager for the cincinnati reds for a couple of years brian price also a pitching coach uh for several years with different teams he was a pitching coach for seattle arizona and the reds before taking over also he took a job with the Phillies as a pitching coach, signed a deal. A year after he signs a deal with Philadelphia, he walks away. Listen to some of this information about Price. I want to read some of the part of the article and then talk about it. He said, I felt I was starting to get edgy. I felt like I was starting to become callous by the sport and not appreciate it to the degree I should. I think we're all hypocrites from time to time, but I didn't want to be a hypocrite to be taking money and not doing the best possible job I could do. I just think that was self-serving. Truthfully, that's not really the way I would want to leave baseball, giving less than 100%. When you feel something's wrong or something you don't like and there's no reason to take the money and do something that you don't enjoy doing or respect the process or respect the people making the decisions. And Bob Nightingale goes on, he said, simply he realized last year during the pandemic shortened season that he lost his passion for baseball, so he walked away. He goes on and says things that are very interesting. Brian Price goes on and says, there's a lot of people in the coaching and scouting departments and front offices that are saying the right things because they can't afford to stop receiving a paycheck and get the benefits. There's an awful lot of people that are working and not on board with what's going on. Price can't stand watching the way the game is being taught. He scoffs at these training centers that claim they're about pitching development when it's only about building arm strength. Hitters are being taught launch angles with funky swings instead of, you know, actually learning how to hit. I think we better take a really hard look at our Trojan horse that's opened up and itself and emptied onto the baseball field and really take account into what the game looks like. It's hard to watch. Says I'm not just some old guy saying this or saying that everybody has to go back to 1975, but I do think we have to appreciate what the people want to see. It's not necessarily the bat flips, the pitchers screaming at hitters when they strike them out. That may have some value with others in the generation, but the broad picture is that we want action. When there's no action, it's really easy to flip the channel. I long for the days when managers make out their own lineups and make their own decisions. I only think there's a handful of those guys that do it now. Now the front office is telling you who's going to play, how you're going to use your bullpen, and predefine your moves as a manager. <clears throat> those are all great stuff from Brian Price because baseball's gotten to a point where it's push-button managing. Now, people that have listened to me over the years and on the radio, I am not a big fan. I do not think managers are being a whole heck of a lot. You don't win a lot of games because of managers. You don't lose a lot. But a lot of the managers that are in there now and some of the younger ones, they are being told by front office people that were Harvard guys or Yale guys or um, basically baseball seam heads, the analytics guys. They're saying, listen, 
the numbers say we should play this guy against this pitcher. And so there's not much of a gut feel anymore. That's why sometimes this year you've seen some situations where Tony La Russa puts the White Sox in spots where a lot of people are questioning them. People don't like the sacrifice bunt. Tony La Russa has done that several times. He's asked guys to bunt. It has worked sometimes, not worked other times. And I think what Brian Price is saying is exactly right because they're trying to change the game of baseball right now. And it's all about launch angle and exit velocity and things like that. And when this whole thing with the substances on the ball has come up over the last several weeks, we've heard major league players talk about things like um, you see situations where they say, listen, why do you not? Liam Hendricks from the White Sox said, it's going to be this way. They're going to pay the big money to guys for launch angle and home runs. And until they do that, you're not going to get the guys that make contact and get the on-base percentage and hit the singles like a Nick Madrigal. You're not going to find those guys. You're going to get a lot of these other guys swinging from their heels, striking out, and the, and the analytics say, it doesn't matter, and outs and out, however you make it, we're more w willing to have you strike out a bunch of times as long as when you do make contact, the ball takes off launch angle, exit velocity, and leaves the ballpark. And uh, that's not the way baseball is supposed to be. You're supposed to teach guys how to hit, how to make contact, how to choke up. I mentioned earlier with Anthony Rizzo, right? Rizzo, when he had those 14, that 14 pitch at bat, those 10 foul balls, they were all with the bat choked up. He hit the home run with the bat choked up because that's the way Anthony Rizzo does it. And I mentioned this weeks ago here on Hubes Views and Brews. And it is that we should not be complimenting Anthony Rizzo for doing something that every major leaguer should do. When you get two strikes, you choke up, you put the bat on the ball, you don't strike out. Anthony Rizzo strikes out. He does not try to strike out. He's not swinging for the fences trying to strike out. He wants to make contact. He wants to hit the ball. He wants to put the ball in play. And that's what we're all waiting for. We're trying to get the ball put in play more often. We're trying to get things happening. And they keep trying to change rules. What can we do here? Why do we have this? Uh, why isn't this working? Why aren't more people coming to the games? Well, people came to the games at Wrigley Field. They're coming to guaranteed rate. You know why? Because teams are winning and they're playing exciting baseball. And the White Sox the other day scored 15 runs with one home run. What's that mean? Ball put in play. Yeah, ball put in play quite a lot. It does mean walks from pitchers, too. Um, in that day, on Saturday, when the White Sox won 15-3, to the Cubs also won a game where they scored five runs off St. Louis in the second inning with two hits. There were four or five walks and a hit by pitch in the second inning. And uh, the Cubs took the lead. They've won the game, I think. They had seven runs with four hits. That was it. And baseball has gotten off away on things. Uh, I cannot wait for them to see, to see what they're going to do with this baseball and the substances on the baseball. Some players like Peter Alonso has said that I like, I'm glad the guys have uh, a sticky substance on the ball because otherwise the ball's going to get away from them because they're throwing the ball so hard. It's a real, real simple fix. If you have to control the ball by throwing it a little bit softer, maybe you can go deeper in games at four innings or four and a third or four and two thirds. Maybe you can go into the sixth or the seventh inning like Zach Davies did, going six and two thirds against the Cardinals on Sunday. Maybe that's something you can get to. And maybe by doing that and not throwing 100 miles out of the box in the first inning, you can get the ball put in play more often. And you can get the game played the way the game was meant to be played. The game was not meant to be played where striking out wasn't a problem. Striking out is supposed to be embarrassing, okay? 
you shouldn't be happy that you struck out three times and hit a home run. Okay, that's not the way it's supposed to work. Your one for four is supposed to be, I hit the ball here, I moved the runner along, I did some other things, I had a sack fly, so I had five at-bats. But no, all they're concerned about right now, it seems, is launch angle, exit velocity. And because of that, that's the way the players are being taught the game. And um, I'm not sure how long it's going to take to unteach them or start the other way. Way, but I thought Brian Price has a very, very interesting comments. If you get a chance, check it out on uh, USA Today. Um, you can find it sometimes on their website, sometimes on the on Twitter. I found it if you follow Bob Nightingale, the writer, the baseball writer for USA Today. Really, really good stuff. Um, we're going to talk a little bit. We're going to talk some beer in just a little bit, but I want to bring up something else too. Uh, I was just getting ready to come downstairs, just getting ready to come downstairs and talk about. Um, you know, baseball and everything else. And what do I see? I see a little crawl on the bottom of the screen on ESPN, who's um, doing the Cub game today. And it's under the heading NBA. And it says, the league wants to limit players from leaning into others to take unnatural shot motions. Every sport, every sport is screwing things up. I don't watch the NBA. Don't care. I know Milwaukee. Oh, I know that the Nets have a couple players down. Harden and Kyrie aren't going to play. Ooh, what's that mean for the Bucs? I don't care what it means for the Bucs. I will not be watching. Um, the NBA has its own problems. They make themselves hard to watch. A couple years ago, this whole time management thing, players sitting out, not knowing from one game to the next who's going to be out there. I know this whole show sounds a little bit like what's up, Fred's can, but that's not yet. That's later in the show. I've got a good one for you. So, I'm eager to see what NBA is going to do. So many times as you guys leaning in and trying to take that off-balance jumper to get fouled and then have it go in, play the game. If a foul happens, a foul happens, go to the line, make your free throws. That would be nice. Why don't you work on making free throws instead of working on leaning into a guy so you can take the jump shot? Um, I don't know if I will come back to the NBA. I do watch the Bulls. I watch the Blackhawks. I don't watch the rest of the NHL. I don't watch the rest of the NBA. I know that a lot of people love it. A lot of people are very excited right now about the NBA playoffs. A lot of people are excited about the NHL playoffs. I am not one of those. Nope. No, sir. Uh, both the Sox and Cubs trailing early in their games. As uh, James McCann, former White Sox catcher with an RBI for the Mets. Um, we'll get into some soccer news because there was one of the scariest things you'll ever see on any playing field happened the other day. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about some other uh, soccer things. But as I take a sip of my hot butcher, um, I want to bring in our guest for tonight. Okay. And I was talking to my girlfriend, Linda, and Linda said, well, she goes, if you and Chet are going to be on, you the show may go a little long because you guys both like to talk. We like to talk. We like to drink beverages. And we bring in our guy, Chet Brett, who basically has introduced me to just about everybody I know in the world of beer in Chicago. There he is, Chet. Chet, how are you tonight? Awesome, thanks, Freddie. Thanks for having me on. You know, I was trying to figure out, because I've told many people, there are three people that have basically introduced me to everybody in uh, in the beer society in the Chicagoland area. What's that when you're drinking? Is that a... Uh, uh, Motorworks down in, uh, out of Bradenton, down by uh, Sarasota. Yeah. So I'm there on and, uh, I know the area. Yeah, good stuff. There's a lot of great breweries down in the Florida area. I tell people, I go, there's three people. I go, Justin Maynard, who used to be in charge of the Illinois Craft Brewers Guild, uh, Vicky Reed, and also you. 
And between the three of you guys, you've probably introduced me to everybody. Um, Justin got me started. I'm not sure. I can't remember where it was the first time I met you. Do you remember? I don't know, Fred. You're the one with the memory in this in this group too. So uh, <laughs> you're not remembering. You can, you can remember what happened in a Sox game in '78. I'm yeah. having a tough time figuring out what I did this morning. So uh, yeah, I do. Well, I remember. Thanks. Yeah, I remember so many times that we would run into each other at beer festivals, at whatever it was would be. I remember sitting at the top of the um, uh, at Rock Bottom downtown, sitting outside in the cold as I got a chance to meet guys like um, uh, Justin at the time over at um, Goose Island. I got to meet all those people over there, and that was awesome. But how did you first? I mean, you're you're not a you're not a Chicago guy. How did you get involved in beer in here in the Chicago area? Well, uh, let me jump back a little bit. I grew up in a house. Okay. My grandfather. I was fortunate. I have a big Irish Catholic family from Long Island, and my godfather, my uh, grandfather, Doris is so Gramps. Uh, he worked for Schaefer Beer, and he basically okay. had a brand job where he had Madison Square Garden. He was he was at the Ali Frazier first fight. So I, you know, being one of six, I was the one he grabbed on a Saturday morning when he was running out the door. So from an early age, I was exposed to it, and then. Um, about nine, 10 years ago, I moved out to Chicagoland. I needed a job, and uh, I knew enough about what was going on. A friend of mine, uh, you know, my one of my rabbis in the business, my buddy uh, Sam Merritt, had my kind of job for Brooklyn Beer in New York, and so I did a lot of events and whatnot with him. And so I moved out. I was in love. It was an awesome opportunity. I'd come out here, and I needed a gig. So I just went to a bunch of breweries one day, and the last one I went to on basically the first day I was looking was Church Street and Joe and Lisa gave me an opportunity and you know they had built this magnificent brewery as anybody's gotten a chance to see what they've done. Um, but they hadn't necessarily worked through the next steps of getting out there and moving it. And I've been I've been around enough breweries and enough experience to kind of saying I think I got a little bit of a handle on trying to bring this up. So that was where it kind of started. And because, you know, I, I, I don't have any children I'm picking up from lacrosse practice, I'm able to kind of spend a little extra time getting out there and kind of hustling and telling the story about Chicagoland breweries and, and whatnot. So that just, I was in the right place at the right time. And it was right at that era when Tighthead and, and Salamoth, it was a little after uh, um, Pipeworks and um, Half Acre. I did an event, I tell the story a lot about up in, up in Libertyville at the Firkin, and they had this awesome, I, it was the first week, I, we, we weren't even serving beer for Church Street, but I just knew that that's where I needed to be, and I just walked in, and of course, anybody who's spent any time around the beer community, it's a pretty welcoming group, so from basically the first week I was in the beer industry, I had a very good welcome, and I, and I had the time to kind of help tell the story, and it's really been worth the last nine years of basically an awesome world it's it's been really and the opportunities i've gotten it's just been awesome well and you mentioned it too because you were working with you were with church street when i first met you and you told me about their beer you told me about the brewery but i would run into you in a lot of other places so it seems like even though you were at church street you immediately got pretty involved with the illinois craft brewers guild right away didn't you well yeah sure and so one of the things because i was out selling and marketing and being on the front lines of the beer universe I was all over Chicagoland. So if I was going to sell up in uh, Mundelein and the account wasn't open until 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock, I might go see Bruce and Billy at Tighthead. And then through that, um, those relationships got to the point where people reached out and said, you know, and then early on, like even at Bobab in the, one of the first years, 
you know, I just threw myself in. It was nothing necessarily planned initially. And there was issues and lines. It was raining. I think, uh, who was there? Brent might have been there. Some characters that we all know the names of. Uh -huh. I helped kind of with the line and it was rainy and whatnot. So through that kind of extra time I had, I was able to find opportunities where my skill set. So I was fortunate. I, I was voted on the board of the Illinois Craft Brewers Guild, but the, the guild is such a great organization with some tremendous people. And fortunately, there's some really great beer minds. And being a great beer mind doesn't necessarily mean you want to go be the dog and pony show for an industry. So I'm not necessarily being able to break down hops or, or, or flavor palette stuff. So I kind of took a little bit of the lead and I was fortunate, you know, I got opportunities to go downstate and also did what they call the hill climb, doing some um, lobbying in Washington, D.C. And it, it's really been as, as good an opportunity as, as you would have wanted. And, it, it, and it, it's so rewarding to me. It's just been an awesome thing. What were some of the biggest things? Because a lot of, I mean, myself included, I was educated by you guys and other people about what the Illinois Craft Brewers Guild had to do. Because a lot of people we see, hey, a brewery opens up, they crank the beer out, they get the beer out, they they finally can stuff, and then they get it out. But it seems like if you were at the top, the top three things when a brewery opens up, what are the top three things that they really need to worry about? It seems like it's, well, if in fact they're going to can or not, but if they do, it, distribution seems like a crazy thing. Well, and, 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 and there becomes a big chapter in the story that people, you know, one of my many different careers along the way is I've produced independent films. And, you know, you meet with people and they've got the script and it's about their parents' story of travels and, and, and heartache and, and whatnot. But you're like, we can make this movie. It'll look pretty good. But what are we going to do with it? How are we going right. to move that product beyond what we did and spent this awesome six months or two years of our life doing? In the beer industry... Um, um, one of the things is that people have this idea that their story, their beer is going to be so unique. Oh, this is going to be the story that's going to make people make a difference in, in the Chicago land and, and beyond uh, landscape. But it's a lot more to that. And uh, trying to measure the expectations. And I, I've done some, quote, unquote, you know, um, counseling and, and, and kind yeah. of consulting and, and whatnot and trying to be a little bit more realistic of voice but not being a killjoy i'm actually i got a couple of props here but i've got my uh milk money uh sweatshirt thing sure and i can tell you the story of how eric and todd came up to me at a beer festival uh the <laughs> the um, tilly park brewing uh vine which if anybody's ever gotten a chance to go to that festival it was a humdinger it was basically a party that just happened to have some of the best beer and it got a lot of us down there for the event but these two guys they were young enthusiastic guys and i'm like that sounds great and a year later we got the building and a year, and a year later they're pouring side by side or whoever the uh, timeline worked on that well opening day of their place of all the things they thought they needed somebody so i was washing glasses so yeah you'd be worrying about the big thing like distribution or you could be taking a simple thing like, well, the reality is we're going to have a lot of people and somebody's going to need, and I just jump in and clean glass. You know, it's those little things. So it's everything from the minutia and to, you know, some real hard lessons that people have to meet. And once uh, industries mature, the understanding of what you thought you were doing and what you got into has to change. And so yeah. as you've seen um, uh, breweries, um, adding locations you, you made a great point on one of your previous shows 
about uh, Krista Bracchio and LT in the group uh, with Imperial Oak. And they opened their other location at one of the craft beer, you know, uh, highlighted spots. Brooksy's was as good a craft beer as the Map Room or Gammon Coach House or some of our other friends' uh, shops. But now it's uh, another outlet for um, Imperial Oak. And with anything, when another location opens, it takes on a little bit different identity, but it's still with the overall idea, this is what we're trying to do. So It's funny, too, because uh, when I talked to – um, Paul and Emily from Skeleton Key, they both were in the hospitality industry before that. So they had a little bit of an idea about front of house, back of house, all the other things. Uh, the beer obviously is important, but you know, like you said, we just saw that they've opened up a whole nother area and uh, the summer is going to be awesome. They'll have more music now because they have bigger spaces and things like that. But like you said, it's not, okay, we're going to brew this beer and everyone's going to come. There's a lot more to it. And uh, I think the best part about it is here in Chicago, we don't see a lot of breweries open and close. They they stick around pretty they stick around for a while, and a lot of times it's it's based on the beer and it's based on a lot of other things, isn't it? Well, interesting to bring that up, Fred. Um, when the pandemic started, uh, what 14, 15 months ago, the Brewers Association, which is the national chapter of all of us breweries and guilds, um, You froze, Chet. I'm sure you'll come right back to us. Or you're deep in thought, one of the two. As soon as he goes as soon as he goes back, we'll get him back on. And uh, but it's it's amazing because the, the number of people that Chet has introduced me to, the people that I have learned so much from with beer, um, it's hard to tell by looking at the picture. But Chet's like six eight, okay. So whenever you walked into some place, you knew if Chet was there or not. He was going to be there. You'd be able to see him there. And, um, yeah, it would work out quite well. And Chet was a great guy. He would always constantly keep introducing me to these people and say, here, listen. And the funny thing is, working in radio for as long as I have, I mean, I first started, I did a couple a couple months on WMAQ back in 1988 and then worked at the score from 92 until 08. And I've been at ESPN since 2010. So working in the radio industry for as long as I have, a lot of the craft beer people were fans of sports radio. So they knew me. And I was fortunate enough to get into the Festival of Barrel-Aged Beers and, you know, um, get a media pass for that and promote it and talk about it and do commercials for it. We did a uh, podcast on it uh, one year when Fobab was coming up and we talked all about it. And, um, you know, it's, it's a great thing because... These people, and I've mentioned it numerous times before with other people in the industry, but you've never seen a business or an industry where so many people are pulling for the other guy to succeed. And in this business, they all pull for the other brewery, the new brewery. And when they get into collaboration beers, it's amazing how they love to collaborate. Goldfinger Brewing, as a matter of fact, has collaborated with a bunch of people as we got our guy, Chet, back. Um, I was just talking to him about when you were going about the situation where this is the only business and you've been in a few businesses. It's one of the few businesses where everybody's pulling for the other guy. Oh, it's, it's, it's amazing. We get back to the guild. One of the uh, services that the guild has is a listserv. So if somebody's putting out the long and hops or short and hops and, need yeah. and more often than not, it'll be a great excuse for one brewer to run over the equipment or the hops or whatever the ingredient is needed 
to spend a couple hours and catching up with somebody like that. So, but real quickly back to the other part, yeah. the, um, Bart Watson, his, the doomsday uh, numbers were coming back when the uh, thing started that 30%, 60% after three, six, nine months, we're not going to be able to make it through. And fortunately so far, it seems that sure, you know, people, not everybody made it through the pandemic, but some smart uh, people working hard, trimming where they could, you know, getting the best they could to get it out. And if you had some, um, you know, off-premise uh, relationships, you were able to move some beer along the way. But, you know, for some of those that were just kegs, they had to kind of rethink their formula. But a lot, of, fortunately, most of us made their ways through and they're on their way to kind of a great summer. Obviously, the weather's perfect. And uh, time, as my grandfather, uh, Gramps, used to say, the concessions are killing them. You know, great weather, warm weather during the summer, and, and you're going to get people out drinking beer again, which, yeah, cheers to well, that. Yeah, there's no doubt. And it's, you know, they had the, the curbside delivery. One of the first things I did when um, when COVID first started is I went online and I bought gift cards for Black Horizon. I bought gift cards for Alter, and I bought gift cards for Skeleton Key. And um, I always feel bad using a gift card after I walk in to buy the beer, but I bought it because I knew that they needed help and they needed people to keep buying their beer and they couldn't have them come into the premises. So it was really important to get on out there and support them. And it's funny because everywhere you go, each and every brewery I go to, I'll go to one, I'll go to Black Horizon, I'll see a couple of people I only see at Black Horizon. I'll go to Skeleton Key, I'll see a couple of people there, but they also had two or three other places that I run into them. And it's a, it's a wonderful little community because we're out there and we're not, I don't think beer drinkers are picky because we like everything they're cranking out. You know, I'm not a coffee guy, but other than that, I'll drink just about everything these guys are making. And Fred, I got, and I got, and the industry needs to send out a thanks to you because, you know, there's a certain, you know, again, getting back to Bart Watson, you know, six, seven years ago, the marching orders to get to, excuse me, the year 2020 was to get to 20% of the beer market by volume, not by uh, dollar numbers, was to be to 20% by 2020. Well, some of the bigger guys were brought up by the big, big guys. Yeah. And some of those big numbers came off the top and we didn't get to the exact number we were going. But the craft beer community has kind of had a pretty good idea of what we've been doing. You and your voice are reaching a whole new audience of people. Now, your openness and your discovery is helping other people realize, as we always say, you know, it's very intimidating. Sometimes you go in a brewery, there's all the people with the tattoos and everything else. Uh, that seem all the scary with the beards and, and that. But given enough time, uh, they're uh, you're gonna find a, you're gonna find a home in a spot. So uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that yeah. When I first got involved, it's like beards and tattoos and black t-shirts. And as long as you have that, you you know, you can fit in. But these guys, I had told when I went to, um, I had a chance to go to Goose Island, and Justin Tucker actually walked me through. And I, I got a chance to meet some of the brewers. And when I was in high school, I realized I never wanted to take math or science again. But then when I met some of these guys that brew the beer, they're wizards in chemistry and math. They know exactly what they're doing. And I had actually suggested that they should actually do like, you know, uh, go to work day and, you know, you have some of these people at high schools for the people that don't like math or science say, listen, you may not like it for that, but you could be a brewer. This let's show how important chemistry is to these people because I met some of the some of the brewers you meet, they're the way up here, intelligence wise. 
and, and you know, it's funny. And some of them, in, in the case of it, it really manifests itself in the art and science of brewing beer. Yeah. I was fortunate working with Joe uh, Gregor as, you know, the uh, owner and brewer at Chushu when we started. He had a chemical engineering. I mean, that's his background. So he right. built this big, beautiful, state-of-the-art, big system and all that. But when you're built, used to building petrochemical plants, you can kind of on a you know piece of napkin, you can kind of come up with a pretty good thing. That's only part of the story. You have to have the palate and the passion and the understanding. And then as you grow, you bring in other people to help nurture tell that story. So if you look at at the breweries as they evolve and people come and go, um, it, it's just it's it's just great to see the growth of it. But it all starts with. You know, you got to be minding your P's and Q's when you're, you know, and yeah. when you're in. Yeah. Uh, and then with some of our friends who are getting into the, some of these crazier ideas, they're just saying, okay, let's let's just have a little fun. We're It's like the kids who stay up late when their parents are out. Be like, okay, we're going to try this. Be like, oh, what happened? Well, this guy. But yeah. fortunately, they make some great beers. So, so uh, we have a good opportunity in Chicagoland to have, uh, to have some pretty exciting beers beyond just you were saying about uh, Tom and and Goldfinger, and obviously Church yeah. Street, Metropolitan, yeah. some of the more known uh, lager houses or traditional European. Well, it's funny. It's funny too because uh, Tom over at Goldfinger, you know, because he specializes in lagers, and his whole family has the history of brewing beer in Poland and things like that. You'll see that he's doing a Kolsch with somebody else, and he's doing <clears throat> a Hefeweizen with skeleton key and it's so awesome because they're still kind of the beers that their style but then they're throwing a little bit of a little bit extra into them and making them very very tasty so after you left church street you were with tribes you were with hailstorm and yeah hailstorm's crazy because hailstorm i mean i was there one day years ago and then i went to a to a a beer store might have been open bottle or uh, origin brew and i looked at hailstorm had like 10 or 12 it's like they're cranking out beer like crazy out there and um they're doing well i was driving today i saw there was a hailstorm van next to me delivering their beer out to the different places out here yeah a great organization chris and now steve miller and 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 brandon and you know did some family changes and moved out to colorado which is great for him and new opportunities but uh yeah it was a great opportunity great people i loved all that and then uh when the pandemic hit and I was looking at trying to take some of my background of being the barker at the circus, trying to tell people, hey, this is what craft beer you should know and this and that. So I started this new project of basically launching now as the pandemic is ending called Brewing Kindness. And basically I'm, I'm gonna go to a different brewery every month. I'm gonna brew a different beer for a different local charity. The brewery picks the charity, the pick style of beer. What I'm doing is bringing an event-like party to them to bring awareness to their brewery and how much these breweries mean to communities, especially now. So, sure. for example, say Skeleton Key, and I forget what town they're in, but if all of a sudden the food pantry in that town is something they want to do, we have an event, we release the beer, we get some people out, raise some money for the local charity and help tell the story, and then move it on and move it on. because. And I want to have a video element too, which again, I might have mentioned it. I've had some production background and some film and uh, television work. So I think that's kind of what the next level. And fortunately for me, Joe and my, our friends over at Hope for the Day, I don't know if you can see the bracelet here. Or, or yeah. Um, they had that project and they, they asked me to come be a part of it. And so I've been able to kind of get out there and I've been fortunate. I've been hitting some breweries around the country, not just the ones in Chicagoland. So I think if you'd ask Joel, he had a pretty, uh, and Nicole from uh, 
your malt um, had pretty, I don't know what their expectations was, but I don't think they expected over 200 breweries in this and that. So down in Tampa, there was probably six different breweries around the country. There's, you know, it's been a lot of people giving it. And what they're doing is obviously bringing uh, mental health awareness. May was Mental Health Awareness Month. And it's, as we know, I mean, it's sometimes people suffer in silence. Yeah. And trying to destigmatize that and make people feel welcome is sort of what the whole story about the, you know, they talked about public houses in bars and, you know, the, the, when early on at Church Street, I realized that breweries were coming like the country clubs in the, in the gathering place, you know, in varying degrees, some people allow uh, dogs and some allow kids and dogs and outdoor spaces. I mean, look at Wolfden, look at that beautiful outdoor oh, space. Yeah. And that's a family run operation and they're hustling, but they got a great space and they're making it welcome for everybody. So that's sort of what we want people to know and beyond just, Oh, that's too bitter. Cause more often than not, you know, early on, you'd hear people, Oh, I don't like craft beer. And they always think of craft beer as a bitter IPA because that's right. typically the one they get. And then you'll realize, no, try this one, try that one. So uh, yeah. it's always fun to see how during a tasting at a, the Benny's or one of the, the your bottle shops or your, your backdoor guys, the Origin uh, Brew and uh, and Dave Hawley and, 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 and our folks Denver and the crew down at uh, Crafted. So, yeah, it, it just, it's, it's just awesome to see that grow along with all the breweries and all that other stuff because you know we i, I bring up john's name a lot but we've got the john bittermans of the world you know they're yeah. already on board they're they're gonna, yeah. they're gonna support our brands and whatnot but we need to get the other people who are they're gonna buy spend a couple extra bucks maybe but they're gonna get a beer that they're gonna enjoy and it's not just about knocking back you know 17 miller lights and no. there's nothing wrong with miller lights or butter or all that i mean beer to me i'm not as much of a anti-macro but i don't necessarily drink much macro but the idea is people are enjoying a beverage with friends and if yeah. and now and, and we've seen uh, a lot of them are becoming na you know there's some yeah. they get some na beers so the non-alcoholic uh thing has kind of gone up and then of course you know the seltzers, seltzers have gone crazy seltzers. yeah seltzers have gone crazy if you know you know every time you go to some place they've always got seltzers too just in case and uh, I've told a lot of people who didn't like craft beer, and I bring them over to Goldfinger, and I bring them to somewhere, and I'd say, here, taste this lager, or trace, try this American Pale Ale, and just kind of edge them in slowly but surely. I had a chance to get a microphone for the first time uh, two weeks ago and um, sat there. It was a day they had a bunch of barrel-age releases from other places. I got there at noon. I was there till 3.30, but they were really small glasses, Chad. They were small glasses. Really small ones. How big are your fingers? Really yeah. Oh, and I and I did a lot of uh, a lot of talking throughout. But the one nice thing about the the charity, the last one with the mental health, is the things we don't say IPA, which so many different breweries uh, put their spin on it. And the nice part was it was always the same can label, the red and white. And I think that stood out. And I think it was very important to the whole the whole path, the whole plan. And, and, and again, that gets into the you know the many levels of uh, you know opening a brewery. People are like, oh, I'm a home great home brewer. I've been making legendary beers for 20 years well now we said okay you're making those beers now how are you going to pull how's your beer going to be pulled off the shelf at the store it's like right oh, and with trying to tell a, a message you want to get a consistent here here's what we're doing oh and to that end also i'd, I'd like to tell uh, people who are watching and listening 
go down and support that. There's still probably a couple four packs lying around at some of the local stores that took it in. Yeah. And beer to, you know, just drink it, buy it, support it, share it with your friends, help tell the story because quite honestly, it's about the story as much as it is about drinking that beer, you know, sure. and, and people like why involved and it's like, Hey, some friends of mine have really gone through some real struggles with it. And so I'm just trying to help bring awareness to it. So, yeah. Yeah. I was just talking to some people today about it and it's like, you know, um, back in the day when you and I were growing up, we didn't talk about that. We just said, Hey, buck up, come on, let's go. And, uh, yeah, now it's a whole different world. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, people talk about their problems, which is good. It's always a good thing. And, uh, I remember, I remember going out to obscurity and, uh, uh, and I, and I, and I did stop at Reams meets and I've been telling everybody about Reams meets after I stopped out there because the place is awesome. I can't wait to get back out there. I bought some of their Cajun bratwurst that I couldn't believe I did. I should have bought more because it's an awesome place. Well, you, you, I'm sure your fridge got some space besides just where you put your beer in, Fred. So you might want to find some only, uh, only a little, only a little bit. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to go away from you yet because <clears throat> when we get together, we talk almost as much sports as we do beer. And you know, you knew a guy that uh, is pretty big in the world of uh, sports broadcasting, didn't you? Well, yes, I, I have, and and some people know him as Mad Dog and. Chris Russo, just to bring it all the way back, when he yeah. left my other hometown, obviously my hometown, not obviously, my hometown here uh, back in Chicagoland is, is Glen Allen, but I lived in a town called Syosset. And while I started St. John's University uh, back in the day, a friend of mine was quitting the liquor store to go back down to Rollins College, and that was Chris Russo. So um, I've known Chris, whatever, and that was one of the early things that we connected on. Yeah. And like, you know, your passion for sports. Actually, I have one of my talking points when you were talking about uh, Wednesday. I can't believe how excited I am to be watching the Cubs this Wednesday because if anybody hasn't gotten a chance to watch the ground pitch, he's magical as watching Chris Sale and, and, and Arietta back in the day. He just yeah. is one of those pitchers that you rather watch him pitch than the Mets bat. I'm a Yankee fan, but even so, he's just such a pleasure to watch pitch. And I mean, the last outing was one walk, no, one hit, no walks, and ten strikeouts in six yeah. innings. I know like that. So uh, I know that that's been kind of fun. And I know you don't like your NBA, so we maybe have to just pass <laughs> on the Nets getting a little action. I mean, as a Long Islander, our Nets were with Dr. J, and they used to play at the Long Island Arena where the Ducks played. But then they played at the uh, Mausoleum where the Islanders are now. Let's get to them or one zero lead up on. Uh, on the uh, Tampa, right? Are they on Tampa? Are they playing well, Tampa? I guess it's the Lightning, but yeah, yeah, so. yeah. yeah. Well, I only know that. I only know that because a guy I had a couple of weeks ago. He was our producer back here when I work with Mike North. He's a program director at Tampa. Uh, so even though he wears his Blackhawks jersey all the time, he's he's throwing a Tampa Bay Lightning jersey on just for the playoffs. Well, actually, more than that. John's a great guy, but uh, yeah, it's, it's it's you know, sports is a great thing, and I I can't tell you how many times people start talking to me at breweries about sports and I want to talk to them about beer. And, um, you know, you and I've had, we've had numerous times where we just sit around and chat and talk beer and talk, uh, talk sports. And it's been great. And I, like I said, I've learned and so much about it and <clears throat> the way that how hard these people work. I mean, it, you, you talk about passion and every one of these people that has a brewery, you mentioned milk money. I stopped there one day and the owners weren't there at that time. But the guy behind the bar recognized me. He goes, you got to come back. I said, oh, I'll come back. 
Food was good. The beer was great. And um, it's right there in the heart of downtown LaGrange. Perfect location. Open the garage doors. How nice is that? It's a wonderful spot. And it's funny because and a lot of people tell me, they go, why are so many breweries in industrial areas? I said, they need the space. They need a place for tanks and everything else. And when you get a place that actually finds a place in the heart of a city, Nick and Ivy, right in the middle of downtown Lockport. Um, I was there just on Saturday. You got milk money. You got a lot of places. It's awesome that they're able to get that and still crank out the great beer they have. And, and Fred, with any business, there's the money guys and the beer guys, the marketing team and whatnot. There's a whole separate business side of it where you take these breweries that moved into un, uh, underwhelming or downpressed neighborhoods. Yeah. Blow it up. The neighborhood becomes so expensive they can't afford to stay in the building that brought the neighborhood up. And that's, again, above my pay grade in terms of the math in the beer industry. But yeah. those are the kind of towns, you know, the harsh reality. I mean, it's we're all thrilled to have our beers at uh, Comiskey or, I guess, Great Cell or what do they call them? The White Guaranteed, Guaranteed rate. Yeah, Guaranteed rate. rate. Uh, and up, up on the north side in Wrigley. Um, but it's a volume-based business and having 60, I don't know how many choices they have in the beer cellar down in the south side these days. Um but it's part of telling the story. So yeah. going to a game, it's not just, and I love a good old style on a hot day in the bleachers out in Wrigley as good as anybody else. But at the same time, for the people who aren't necessarily going to knock back, how about that uh, snake? Uh, that uh, I know. I know. It'd be nice if people were watching the game, but that's, I'll talk about that in a little bit. Listen, I, I got a cop to that. I've been into some bleachers. I wasn't quite sure about what was going on. After, uh, <laughs> did you see that? Did you see the meme about how much that would represent? Yeah. Was it 30,000? Well, I think 42,000. It's 150 yeah. foot long, a $12 a beer times whatever it was. And again, I, I know, know. that's one of those. I wasn't necessarily going to check the math on it. It was good enough for me that the story went like that. Yeah, but, that was fine. So, but, so you're not, you're not in Florida now, right? Well, I'm actually, yes, I am down in Florida. I am, uh, and actually one of the breweries, uh, our, our friend at Levin Brewing up on, they call it Riverview, just outside of Tampa. Uh, delightful gal. I'd never met him. I told Joe, Joel I was going to hit some of these breweries down here and kind of help tell the story. And what a, a, a um, Jillian and her husband, KJ or TJ, uh, just an awesome couple. They just had their first kid. And again, getting back to sense of community, uh, you, you know, all of our friends that you and I can both name yeah. who have these kids between zero and 12 or 14 or whatever. And some of us have friends with kids going off to college and, and beyond. But, you know, that sense of community and she is a big part of the Florida Guild, and she put something on the Florida uh, listserv, I think, and then that's how so many breweries in the state of Florida got involved in it. And so that's part of what came down here, besides chasing after my little goddaughter, which is, I don't even see the Nevins, that's her name. So I see it. I see it. She ever gets her, which is, again, um, how resourceful and, and you know, um, Mark is now making great beer at Oswego Brewing. And they've got a new tenant in the old space over at uh, Nevins. So, you know, people, any kind of challenge any industry faces, it's just part of business in this and that. But when you're in a public industry like beer, people might overthink it. Well, you know, five, ten yeah. percent of the people are going to have a divorce. And all of a sudden, that couple had to say, oh, this didn't work out or, or relationships with partners sometimes becomes a challenge. So it's not necessarily that the industry is waning, it's just maturing with anything else. I mean, as you well know, if you spend any time in a brewery, 
one day, one week, one month, one year, one decade in the beer industry is a hardworking thing. And, and it's hot and it's there's a lot of challenges. Yeah. But again, the rewards are so great. And the sense of community yeah. that people get, it's just a real pleasure to be a part of. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you've met my girlfriend, Linda. We, we went, I think we met it. We saw you at Goldfinger. We saw you at Obscurity. And uh, she has a granddaughter. And now since I'm with her, now I've got a granddaughter. So I, she's got another one on the way, a grandson. So it's, uh, yeah, I didn't have that opportunity in the past, but I'm going to now. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a whole different experience doing a, having, a, having something like that. How the beer fridge discussion is going to go at your new place? Be like, honey, you yeah, I know, I know. I've already talked about that. I've already, I've already putting the fridge that's in the basement right here is going in the basement there, and it's gonna. Some of the beers here may travel. I don't know. Hopefully, I'll drink them all before that. So, or or you, or you have a few of us over, friend. We get. Or you know what? Here's the here's the deal. We have we uh we put Vicky on blast, and we say yes. you know, we showed a nice little backyard, little setup. You, we, I pick. We somehow get over to hers. We Uber home and we clear out some of those beers in your fridge because, uh, and, yeah. And you know, you were you were talking on one of your previous uh, episodes. It's like it's tough to go through all the beer. You know, it's crazy. Uh, I kind of have to make a concerted effort sometimes to say no mas. You know, I'm trying yeah. to kind of clear it out. I and, bought. You know, we'll start again. You know? I bought eight. I bought eight at Orange and Brew last week, and this is the first one I've had. Now, I'll have another one when the show is over, but still, it's it's tough to sit and drink them all constantly. I mean, I had, like I said, I went to Nick and Ivy the other day, had a couple down, down there, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's nice to have them in the fridge instead of grabbing for, and again, I grab for Miller Lights. I got a Miller Light side right there. I mean, I grew up drinking Miller Light, so I don't have a problem with that. Chet, I got to go. We're running out of time. It's great as always. Uh, have a safe trip down there. We'll see you when you get back. Sounds good. Chet Brett. And anybody that has drank beer at any of the breweries in the Chicagoland area, you know Chet. I would ask anybody, do you know Chet? They go, yeah, we know Chet. How do you not know Chet? Everybody knows Chet. Um, Chet mentioned something during that, and I said, we'll talk a little bit more about it. Um, I, no surprise, it could be what's up, friends, can. Well... Maybe it's just because you're ugly. Ugly? You gotta be kidding me. Oh, come on! Time for What's Up Fred's Can on 1252 Sports Chicago. Okay, some of you may doubt this next sentence I'm about to say. I don't mind people having fun at ball games. Okay, you doubt me, right? Okay. I think there's nothing wrong with doing the wave at a ball game. You know why? Because you're not bothering my viewing of the game. Sure, you jump up every 35, 45 minutes, sec, you know, whatever, 60 seconds, but you sit right back down. The guy in front of me who's standing up and has a hard time getting past the guy, other person in front of him, they're in my way more than you are. I don't mind you doing the wave. The beer can snake the other day, is ridiculous. And I know they did it on the south side last week, too, and they should be ashamed of themselves. Now, at Wrigley Field, a lot of people go to Wrigley Field to party, to celebrate, to have a great time. That's wonderful. Watch the damn game. Your Cubs are in first place. Don't tell me you're watching the game when you're stacking up, you know, several hundred beer cups, throwing beer cups to the person that's doing it, 
getting beer all over the people there. They say, well, if you know, if you buy a seat in the bleachers, you should expect that. No, if you buy a seat in the bleachers, you should expect to be able to see a game and enjoy yourself, not have beer spilled on you throughout the entire course of a game because some goofy people are building a beer snake. I'm sorry. It's eventually they they tried to knock it down a few times, the uh, security. And um, I don't know. Is it something that's going to continue? I'm sure the next homestand, Cub fans are going to want to do it again because they saw it. And I'm sure at guaranteed rate tonight, people are going to try and do it. You know what? Give a separate section for you guys who aren't going to watch the game and just build, build beer snakes, okay? Let the other people who might want to bring their kid to the game in the bleachers because can't afford a better seat not have to have beer spilled on them all night long, okay? So watch the game. My buddy Mike Murphy, who I'm going to try and get out here in a couple weeks, he used to have a segment when we worked at the score called Bleacher Dudes and Bleacher Babes. And he would send one of our producers out to the ball game. And he would ask the people at Wrigley Field, who plays right field for the Cubs? No idea. What number does Sammy Sosa wear? No idea. And it wasn't just, excuse me, it wasn't just women at Wrigley Field. It was guys on the south side too. and But it was interesting to see the people that go to baseball games to enjoy themselves and not, not care that there's a game going on. They're just going to drink and have fun. And to those people that go to the games and want to know, you'd ask people who play second base, uh, you know, what's the score of the game? They would have no idea. And I understand, I understand that happens a lot, but I kind of like going to a baseball game when I know the score of the contest. I've gotten drunk at games. I was sitting in the center field bleachers with my buddy Bob Liptak, rest his soul. And we were drinking, they used to allow you to bring water jugs or milk jugs into the game. We had a milk jug filled with lemonade and Everclear. It was a double header. And after the first game, I turned around and I saw that my grandfather and my uncle, Brian, were sitting two rows behind me. And I said, oh, I, never, I didn't see you there. How you doing? My grandfather looked at me and said, sit down and shut up. You're making an ass of yourself. That was the end of my drinking. We had already drank the entire gallon of Everclear and lemonade in the first game. Uh, Jim Spencer, by the way, drove in eight runs that game. So anyway, one last thing I wanted to mention, it is a lot of soccer going on. Copa America is going on. I've got that on. It's Paraguay and Bolivia right now. Tomorrow, uh, 2 o'clock, it'll be uh, Germany against France in the Euro 2020 tournament. Cannot wait. The Germans need to step up. France is really good. They're one of the favorites in this tournament. So I'm watching a lot of that. But best wishes go out to Christian Eriksen of the Denmark team. Denmark, Christian Eriksen is why people watch the Denmark game against Finland on Saturday. I was on the air with uh, I was in the air with Brian Hanley and on Saturday at ESPN 1000 and I looked up at the screen and all I could see is the player standing around a player in a circle and I saw a guy between their legs giving someone a CPR. His heart had stopped. He was gone and the CPR and the defibrillator saved his life. Christian Eriksen, one of the better players uh, in European soccer. And uh, hopefully a full recovery. I doubt we'll see him on the soccer pitch again. But uh, it was an awful way to start a tournament. It was the second game of the tournament. Italy won 3-0 over Turkey in the first game of the tournament. And uh, so the tournament continues. It just began. It'll go on for most of the month. We'll be watching a lot of soccer, drinking a lot of 
Oh, almost gone. A lot of beer. I might try one of the other hot butcher beers I got last week. So thanks a lot for jumping on in. Thanks for watching. Hope you enjoyed Chet Brett. Just an awesome guy. When he gets back to Chicago, uh, if you're ever in a, in a brewery and you see a big tall guy about 6'8", just say hi. Say, Chet, I heard you on Hume's Jews and Brews. So until next week, have a great time. Let's go Sox. Let's go Cubs. They're both trying to come back from deficits in these ball games today. Cubs have a tough series in uh, New York. The White Sox at home against Tampa. Enjoy your baseball. Thanks a lot for watching and listening to Hubes Views and Brews on 1252 Sports Chicago. Have a good night.